Today's reading is Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. It can be found on page 946 of the Bible's next year seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And as Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and people. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our God of grace, we come to you uh, from different places, different journeys, different experiences of the holidays. As we sit here, the truth is we may feel very different from everyone else, but in one way we're all the same. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And we come before a story of grace. And that's the reason we keep coming back. That's the reason we um, <clears throat> show up at all is that you are gracious and you approach us with grace and so that we can marvel at the possibility that even though we're more broken, more broken than we want others to know, more broken than we even ourselves sometimes know, at the same time we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Would you help that grace to continue to be, even now as we listen to your words, Help it to be transformative in our journey moving forward. As we transition from one year to the next this week, may it be your grace that leads us, that shapes us, that energizes us, that comforts us, and that challenges us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up with um, a lot of the Bible in my life. I had a lot of influences related to church and the Bible. And so I heard a lot of the Bible's stories. And I don't know if some of you relate to that. Probably a lot of you don't. But there are certain stories of the Bible that have children in them that um, these children of the Bible were um, just so interesting to me. They stuck with me. Those stories seem to have something extra listening as a child to this all these stories that come from this book. Um, there's the story of the child who comes with five loaves and two fish um, as the disciples are having this food dilemma. And then that, that, that five loaves and two fish become these, just this ability that Jesus has to break it and keep breaking it and then 5,000 people are fed. 
and just see, you know, living into that story as a child and, and imagining being that child and seeing what Jesus did. Um, stories like of Moses' sister, I think Miriam is her name, and um, so Moses is this baby that's been put in a basket to be saved, and Miriam is standing off to the side watching, kind of in hiding, to see Pharaoh's daughter discover the baby and then to come just at the right time to, to say, would you like me to go find a Hebrew mother to take care of this baby? And turns out, of course, it's Moses' own mom gets to take care of her own baby instead of it getting killed like all the other babies were. These stories, you know, of that crucial role of that young girl in the story. And then there's, you know, you go on and on. There's David, the young David, who was the smallest and most seemingly physically insignificant of these seven brothers, and yet he's called in from the field um, because none of the other ones are the right one who's going to be anointed as the next king. And it's this young, small shepherd boy, David. There's another story of Samuel, whose mother prayed for a baby and then dedicated the baby Samuel to the temple and to the, to the priesthood, basically. And so Samuel is growing up as a child, being trained as a priest. All of these stories just sort of captured my imagination as a child, um, probably much more than any other kind of stories. And so we have a story here of Jesus' childhood. In fact, it's the only story we have other than the infancy narrat- narratives that we looked at, you know, like next, last week and, and on Christmas Eve. Here's our only story of Jesus as a child, um, a 12-year-old. And it's not a story that's taught widely in churches. I, do, I think I remember maybe hearing the story as a child, but it didn't capture my imagination. I don't know if, I, if I'm a Sunday school teacher, if I'm gravitating towards the story to teach it. It's just kind of maybe confusing. The child Jesus is, is not necessarily a good model here, is he? He's, um, it looks like maybe disobedience or at least just super flakiness that he stays behind multiple days and doesn't seem worried about the fact that he's not with you know, his grown-ups and his family. And maybe even with that little interaction at the end where they say, you know, you know we've been looking for you and he, he doesn't seem really concerned about it. I mean, maybe is he being belligerent a little bit there? Is he being disrespectful? I mean, if, you, if he was my child, I mean, just the, um, one of the many things he would have to answer to is that he wasn't apologetic at all about the whole thing. I mean, come on, Jesus. So I don't know that this is my, would be my favorite, you know, childhood morality tale um, for my kids. I don't, I don't want my kids to get lost and stay behind. In fact, I'm often like, trying to get them to pay attention. I'm, I don't know if you've ever seen parents do this where we intentionally walk around a corner to, you know, to see that aha moment when the kid finally gets freaked out that they can't see mommy and daddy yet and then maybe they'll learn to stay closer. I mean, that's sort of my always trying to get them to stay with me. Jesus doesn't seem apologetic about it at all. So what do we do with this confusing event? This is a confusing story. What do we make of it? Jesus is one childhood narrative where he's old enough to talk and act and do things, but he's not yet fully engaged in his adult ministry. What do we do with it? Confusing. Well, I think we should just note right off the bat that we're not alone in being confused by it. Um, If you look at the story as it's told, um, his own parents don't understand what's going on. In verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They didn't get it. They didn't know. 
And maybe, actually, maybe that's a lot of the point of this narrative is, in a sense, get ready to be confounded by Jesus. If you at all are going to be engaged with him at all, if you're going to have any kind of relationship with Jesus, you're going to have any kind of um, Jesus presence in your life, if you're going to explore Jesus, get ready to be confounded. In fact, if Jesus is regularly confounding you, I would say you are in a better place than if it all makes perfect sense to you all the time. So let's look at how in the story we see that he confounds. He confounds, I think, he confounds us, he confounds his parents, he confounds you know, everyone in three ways, with his unpredictability, with his authority and lordship, you might say, and with his identity. First of all, his unpredictability. Jesus will confound you. If you want to get to know Jesus, he will confound you with his unpredictability. He is absolutely predictable. And as a, as a child, this story shows us that he is unpredictable when it comes to what we would imagine a, a, a coming-of-age story of a hero. I know this. here's a tale of the hero Jesus, we think. And we're going to learn about this one who has these powers. You know, he's going to end up healing. He's going to be doing all these amazing things. So here's his, the coming-of-age tale, you know. How, how is this going to look? And we have, we have our sensibilities that maybe run along the lines of like the, the Spider-Man movie where, you know that scene, the sort of cu- the self-actualization um, montage scene of Spider-Man when he, um, he's sort of trying out his talents. He doesn't got them quite dialed in yet. You know, and he's doing this, or he's trying to figure out how the web actually comes out. You know, it's kind of imperfect. He's growing into these talents He's thinking of his name. He's trying to make up a costume. It's, it's kind of, you know, there's rough edges, but he's, he's getting there and he's going to, you know, really get a hold of his powers eventually and use them in the right way. But right now they're all, you know, it's kind of growing into them. Is that what's going on with Jesus? In a sense, Jesus, Jesus is not shown that way at all. He's not shown as someone who's, you know, he, he, puzzling over his talents or who he is. He's not puzzling over these these, these powers that he needs to grow into or anything like that. In fact, in, in, fact, in the early church, um, they were very concerned with that uh, the stories about Jesus were authentic. And so they, they were very careful about authenticating the ones that they were passing on. And the ones that, that um, some of the ones that weren't authenticated because they weren't written early enough, they, they marks of inauthenticity, were exactly ones that had these kind of, the kind of stories we would predict of a coming-of-age hero. You know, Jesus, you know, kind of as an adolescent, you know, getting upset with somebody. He doesn't have his anger quite dialed in yet, but he's got these powers, and so he does something to this, you know, this bully, you know. You know, so, you know the kind of things we would imagine doing, right, as we come in, if we were in that situation. There's one, in fact, this story of him talking to the religious leaders has, a, has one of these, these stories that crept in later that people... Um, wrote down basically that he was teaching the teachers in the temple about astronomy and medicine. <laughs> and you just get that sense of like, yeah, that's something we would make up, right? That he would, you know, he'd be, you know, he'd be flashing his, his powers a little bit there in some sort of youthful, pre-adolescent way, you know, precociously with the local teachers. But that's not at all, that's not at all what we see with him. He's, nor is he, you would think, he's, is he going to have to battle his demons on his way to self-actualization? You know, there's no self-doubt. There's no overcoming self-doubt. Jesus is already just saying, basically, yeah, um, this is my Father's house. I'm the Son of God. This is who I am. 
It's as if this is completely natural, settled, and he's fully aware of, of who he is. And that's not at all how we would predict. That's not at all what we're ready for. Get ready for Jesus to be unpredictable if you're going to have a relationship with him. From day one, almost expect the unexpected. Expect the unpredictable. But he also confounds you with his lordship or his authority. Think about Mary and Joseph. Um, I think we relate to them in this story. We, we kind of put ourselves in their shoes thinking about what it would be like to be parents in, in this situation. What would it be like to worry and to have your plans kind of shift and to have to backtrack and to have to um, go through all this inconvenience because of Jesus? It's important to remember that as the um, gospel writers give us a story that there's an actual audience and they're writing, and I, I think I said this last week, they're writing to Christians in the early church. And what they're showing us is that all of these people who have a, some kind of connection to Jesus, they really are the first, they're showing us the first Christians. They're showing us the first people who would call Jesus Lord, who would have to deal with the fact that Jesus is more than just another person. So when you think about it like that, what are we learning here about you know, these first Christians and what they had to go through as we think about Joseph and Mary? And what we're learning is that when someone has a relationship with Jesus, if it's to have any kind of depth, if it's to be real at all, that you should begin to expect that your life is going to be rerouted a bit. If you're going to have any kind of real connection with Jesus, you, you should expect that your journey is going to be redirected. That there's going to be times where you feel like, this feels like backtracking right now. It's because of Jesus' lordship, Jesus' authority that you start to yield to in your life. Things that seem like major inconveniences because of your connection to Jesus. Things that feel like redirection or like your pl- my plans. This is a big one for me, I know, and for probably a lot of you. My, plan- my plans, my plans, they're not panning out because I'm not lord over my life getting to places where, like Joseph and Mary here, they don't understand exactly what's happening and what Jesus is saying to them. They, they just don't understand it. Maybe someday they will, but right now they don't. Um, I think I should be careful to note as I say that, as I sort of cast that vision for what the, the authority and lordship of Jesus is like in our life, I should be careful to note that it, it doesn't always necessarily, in fact, it often doesn't start that way in your relationship with Jesus. Often in, in your relationship with Jesus, you kind of have the reins and you're kind of throwing the questions and you're investigating Jesus and, and you're bringing your doubts and your questions and you're sorting through. And often, that, and that's, that's, that's good. There's, there's a natural flow to that of discovery and figuring out and sort of telling Jesus he has to meet you on his terms. And there's sort of this back and forth that often takes place on the way towards connecting eventually with this, this incredible mercy and grace and trustworthiness that Jesus brings into your life. And then, maybe having approached Jesus on your terms, eventually he is experienced as so good, so, so good, so, so merciful, so trustworthy, that eventually you begin to give over the reins. You begin to look at Jesus as... as may sound weird to you if you're from the outside, but to begin to calling, calling Jesus Lord, you know, that tradition that the church does of saying, this is my Lord. But quite frankly, 
I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how good it will do you to start calling him Lord before you've begun to call him Savior. Um, yeah, and in some ways, I get the sense that some people and some churches get the impression or give the impression that um, that's what it's all about. It's all about rerouting your life and redirecting everything and inconveniencing yourself as much as possible as the first few steps of maybe becoming a Christian. There's a sense in which maybe that's, is that maybe backwards a little bit? You know? Like I think about a couple of the early years of starting City Life Church and um, one of the things that was really helpful was to have people who were willing to inconvenience their life and redirect things to help get this thing started and to do some of the work that it takes to just have something every Sunday. That took a lot of work. And in fact, some of the people who were really in that mode of, well, this is what I got to do. I got to help. I got to do. I got to work. I got to work. Inconvenience myself in order for this other thing. Um, those people were really helpful. But at times there might be certain, certain people or certain ways that was experienced where I'd think like, I, you know, it, it, could this person maybe have it backwards a little bit? And I know for myself, my journey at that same time included some of that, getting it sort of backwards. Did I know, had I just taken the time to get to know Jesus and just his grace before I assumed all this amount of inconvenience that I had to put on myself? So I feel like that's an important thing to note as we talk about the eventual lordship that will confound you if you have a relationship with Jesus. And last of all, confounded by, Jesus will confound you with his identity. He will confound you with his identity. In this story, in fact, this is probably the most shining and glaring point of this story is all that's going on around Jesus' identity. In verse 43, it's, it's cropping up this idea of Jesus as a child. The boy Jesus was behind in Jerusalem while his parents were returning home. So you have parents, child. And then we get into verse uh, 48 and, and his mother is saying, Son, why have you treated you, us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously ser- searching for you. Parents, child. And Jesus responds in like kind. He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? This is a story that's revolving around this idea of Jesus is a child and there are parents, but who is his who is his real parent? Who is his ultimate father? That's what this is all about. It's about Jesus' identity. And um, Jesus being a first century Jewish boy, he was, we're told, this is not an accident, we're told that it's his, he's 12 years old. When he would transition and become 13, he would be considered an adult. And all of the, kind of the vows and promises of this long story of God's grace were to then be owned by him as he transitions to being a, an adult. This would have been, the 12th year would have been the year of intense mentoring. And Joseph walking along with him as they went up to festival, it would have been, it says they went every year, but this year would have been a, a year where there was a lot of instruction, a lot of discussion about the sacrifices, about the rituals, Intensive instruction, the year of preparation. And then what do we learn is that Jesus takes hold of that and says, and makes this huge point about his identity. His parents don't understand it. I wonder if we will. His point is that he is, he, his, he is no longer primarily to be viewed as just the son of these parents. But he has a greater identity. He is, he is the son of God. He is the child of God, the God in heaven. First and foremost, 
And it actually relativizes all his other relationships. It trumps everything else in his life that he is the son of God. And that's the message. Very awkward, uncomfortable, difficult for Joseph and Mary to understand, to know what he's talking about. It confounds them, and yet it, it, it is still his identity. And it's the, it's the identity that's going to go with him is going to bring the most meaning to them as they are the first Christians trying to understand what his mission is all about. So Jesus has this superior identity with, the, with his heavenly father that relativizes all his other relationships. And if he goes that route, if Joseph and Mary can let him enter into that identity, then they and all of us, if we can see him that way, we see that he gives us a relationship with the father that relativizes all our other relationships as well. Because what's happening here is this, this little seed is getting planted by Jesus because he knows who he is. And he's get planting this little seed already of what the whole picture is going to look like. He is the son of God. And eventually people who follow him, and you read this as the New Testament continues, people who follow him are going to have this, this really in, interesting language and intimacy that they talk about with their relationship with God where Christians are told to talk about and talk to God as Abba, Father. It's an old Aramaic word for, for daddy. It's like, a, it's like what a child might say to their parent as their parent is putting them to sleep at night. Daddy. Jesus to say, I'm going to go to my father's house. That was an inconceivable, you know, for us, we, we don't hear it that way because there's been enough of Christianity and this kind of language around for a long time. But for Jesus to say, I had to be in my father's house, that was way, that was shockingly intimate of him to talk about God that way. And yet, those who allow him to be that son of God in their life, then they are given an even more shocking identity in terms of their connection to God. Daddy, oh, the utter trust of having God in your life in such a way that it's, it's, like a, it's like a young child just depending on their parent for everything. Another way to think about this identity of Jesus, and then we'll close, but another way to think about it is that at the end of the journey of Luke, as Luke is telling us the story of Jesus, he has a couple of people walking a road, walking along the road. Maybe you've heard of this story, the road to Emmaus. And they're confused because they've lost Jesus as well. You know, Mary and Joseph here, here we have two people searching the roads for Jesus. At the end of the gospel, we have two more people searching the roads for Jesus. And Jesus actually shows up with them, and they don't recognize him at first, but he, he has almost the exact same language. At the beginning with Joseph and Mary, he says, didn't you know I had to be at my father's house? And on the road to Emmaus, he says, didn't you know I had to suffer? That's the point he makes to them. Didn't you know I... I I, I had to suffer. The Son of Man had to go to the cross. At the beginning, he, he clings to the presence of his Father. But the real point comes, if you pay attention to that, then you watch his story and you see that at the most critical moment, he allows himself to be completely abandoned by his Father. Why? I mean, he gets ejected from God's presence on the cross. He says, Basically, on the cross, he says, where'd you go, Daddy? Where'd you go? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes there, as close and as, as, as connected as he needed to be to his father, he goes there so that you will know that you never get abandoned. 
so that you become, you get the identity of a child of God, the same identity that Jesus rightfully has, now becomes yours. That you know all your life that you'll never be abandoned. Well, overall the question is, has Jesus confused you? Has he confounded you in 2015? Have you been confounded by Jesus? If not, maybe you're not paying attention enough. <laughs> you know, maybe you're not listening close enough. And what's 2016 going to be like? Let me close with this prayer from Martin Luther, and perhaps it will be the prayer for you moving into this new year. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we know that we are dear children of yours and that you are our beloved Father. Not because we deserve it, nor ever could merit it, but because our dear Lord, your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, wills to be our brother, and of his own accord offers and makes his blessing known to us. Since we may consider ourselves his brothers and sisters, and he regards us as such, will you permit us to become and remain your children forever? Amen.